0: Welcome to the intercut podcast the weekly show going over the TV movies and entertainment that people can't cut away from I am your co-host Zachary Shevich and joining me there are whores in this house it's Arturo Zurita
1: I appreciate it I love how like some people only come in for like the first couple of minutes and they're like I don't know what relationship these two have, but okay.
0: Gotta give them something to grab on. Gotta give
1: them something to grasp onto, but no, I'm excited to be back. We got a lot of movies to talk about on the what we've been watching, but a crazy amount of news. Like, there's so much news in this episode, we have to, like, put the rest of it in 85, so.
0: Yeah, we, we are splitting some of the news of the week up into the next episode. We're going to try and uh, give you a couple episodes since we also been a li- off a little while. There was mm-hmm. a, a bit of a blackout situation where I, I didn't have power for a few days, but, uh, we are back. It's really good to talk to you again. It's, it's, it's okay to talk long. to you. I, I missed exciting. you. missed you for the, the Palm yeah. Springs interview, too.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Zach. <laughs>
0: Appreciate it. <laughs> no, I, I I get it. You were caught in the time loop. Uh, but I you was. have some cool theories. So I, I know you've been developing, working on the, the science yeah. of it all.
1: <laughs> I'm the whole board <laughs> trying to see where, where they would have ended up. Why were the dinosaurs yeah. in there? But, yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, in a little bit we're going to talk about 17 day windows $30 price tags and Netflix's all time top 10 mm-hmm. But first make sure you're subscribed To the intercut podcast either the video Podcast on youtube.com slash Intercut pod or the audio podcast Available in most pod catchers Also follow intercut on social media whether it's Facebook Twitter or Instagram we are at Intercut pod that's at intercut POD that's short for podcast And while you're here just another Reminder to leave us a five star our review over on the Apple Podcasts uh, service, whatever you want to call iTunes nowadays. <laughs> uh, we, we, we we appreciate those reviews, and those are some of the best ways to support our show and help get it in other people's feeds. So please go over to iTunes and do that. Uh, we will appreciate it. We might even read your review on the show. Hey, but first, let's start the show the way we start it every week here with what we are watching, art.
1: What are you watching? Uh, well, you know, we we're working on a video for the Umbrella Academy. I don't know if you've gotten into it at all. I have seen all of season two. Oh, okay. Did, uh, did you ever read the comics? No, uh, I think you've said you have. I have. Uh, I really like the comics, but what are your thoughts, okay. Zach? Actually, I don't even want to talk about because I've <laughs> I just finished editing a video on it. <laughs> Zach, you tell me your thoughts <laughs> on Umbrella Academy. Um. Well, I was also
0: I was definitely less into the first season than I think. Uh, Many people I've talked to Mm. I I know Amanda who we Frequently have on the podcast is a big fan Of Umbrella Academy I I Don't remember how positive you were On it I want to say I was still more Negative than you two. just uh, It's not necessarily a show That matches the Aesthetics that I'm looking for in a lot Of my entertainment it's a a Very kind of loud Show in its expressions It's it's very Very Extra, even not in the slang term, just they put in literally extra stuff into every moment, it feels like. Uh, and, and for me, I, I find myself often questioning the the necessity a lot of, of a lot of their choices and ha- being taken out of the moment by uh, very big music choices or very big character choices. Um, so I don't know, because... It's not a show that I find myself watching that much. Uh, find myself enjoying when I'm watching it that much. Okay, but I still manage to watch two entire seasons of it. Um, there, there are performances that I like from the cast. There are uh, clever moments in the writing, but I, it, all in all, it really is just like a little bit too too much. I think mm-hmm. uh, for me, in most moments,
1: I feel you. I I I I, I liked the first season. Uh, I like the yeah. second season a little bit better, uh, what I'm a really mm-hmm. big fan of, because obviously it's it's a dysfunctional superhero power family, and that's what they're going through. And I, I'd said the mm-hmm. first one was like a buffet. Uh, <laughs> every single character is in their own genre of a show, practically. Yeah. Um, but the way that they mesh up for Dallas, which is um, also based off of the second one by the guy who did My Chemical Romance, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed yeah, it because... Yeah, they always, uh, dude, I got grilled for the way that I said his first name, so I was like, I'm just going to say, Mr. Way, the lead singer, uh, <laughs> the way that the uh, comics are going is that they got three out so far, but he's got like an eight-story arc, so he has given them a document, practically telling them, like, this is where everything is going to go, so it's interesting re-watching one and noticing, wait a minute, you guys have implanted stuff in season one that we won't know about till eight, and stuff that was mm-hmm. in season one that we got revealed at by the end of two— so the fact, it's really rare, you know, because we're so used to shows starting, hoping they get something, and here they've mm-hmm. started it from season one with stuff that they won't be revealing until five. And I, I don't know, I, I think that's really cool to like, yeah. um, was it Marvel did that with the, the guy who was there the entire time. Here, that may actually be the case. And uh, an extra that you didn't think twice about may end up being a major character later on. I find that really fascinating. Um, I did find season two to be a little bit better, but I would recommend anyone who loves the show, read the comic. The comic's really dope. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, since you are more familiar with the comic, uh, it's
0: not an anthology show. But the entire first season takes place on one timeline, and the second season takes place on a different part of that timeline you know it's got like a very segmented side you're not you're not going to confuse a season one episode for a season two episode Mm -hmm. is that sort of the way that the comic is in that they're like chapters of an adventure in that segmented way he
1: uh he he pitched it like this mr way he said we issue one should be issue 50 but we skipped all the way and just threw you to like issue 51 so it's like that you have no backstory. You're just into it. And you have to, again, read the third one to go back and realize what had happened. Oh, that's what they meant in the first one. Um, season one and two, they take different things. So, like, season one took a lot of stuff from season two. From the book, mm-hmm. two. Sorry, I meant. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, two is taking some stuff from one. So, it's not as definitive as this one. And I would say that's just because of the film aesthetic. Like, obviously, everything needs to be in the 60s. Obviously, in the first one, everything was in 2019. Um, so, no. The that's why I would recommend the book. The book jumps so to so many different things. They'll just show a character for a panel. <laughs> then he'll be the lead like in the third one. So that's why I, I highly recommend it because I think it fits the style better. That, that disconnect that you may be feeling with it in the adaptation to TV, you, I'm always a big proponent that the original source of wherever it comes from is the best form to tell it. Uh, Alan Moore, who he's a big fan of, always said, I don't watch the movies of my adaptations because I wrote it to be a comic. <laughs> Uh, right. I do think Umbrella Academy's done a good adaptation, but you, can, you can't you ever beat the book, you know? You can't ever beat right. the book.
0: Right. Sometimes there's a reason they're conceived for a certain reason. Exactly, yeah. Yeah.
1: What have you been watching? What Zach? else have you been I've oh. only been watching Umbrella Academy. <laughs> I read through that yeah. <laughs> twice. So what have you been right, watching? Well, I got a couple, I got a couple uh, that I can it.
0: bring up. Uh, I finally caught Shirley, uh, which I know was... Both you and Amanda thought it was one of the best movies of the first half of the mm-hmm. year and, and um, regretting not seeing it before we recorded the best movies of, the, of 2020 so far. I'm glad I'm you got it. Definitely would have been on my list. Uh, I, I've been a fan of Josephine Decker's work uh, for a little while now. She's really graduated from uh, these very stripped down, mumblecore, uh, very kind of improvis- improvisatory movies into these much richer, much more complex stories. And I think here... Uh, you really get to see her gift for this like unsettling imagery and this like disorienting camera work, the way that she'll like pan across a ceiling and, shift the camera in this weird Dutch angle and land on, uh, Elizabeth Moss in the bedroom. Yes. It's just, uh, it, it's really kind of haunting, but I think gives you that vibe, uh, that unsettled vibe that you get throughout the movie because it is in its way, sort of like an update on who's afraid of Virginia Wolf with mm-hmm. these two couples, an older one and a younger one, uh, in a way just trapped in this house together, making each other more miserable. Uh, I, I thought the way that she illustrated the thoughts in her writer's head to be really hypnotizingly beautiful. Uh, the, the the images that you would see kind of obfuscated a little bit, uh, but like patches of Elizabeth Shirley Jackson's writing sort of coming to life uh, as she is conceiving of the book in the film. Uh, Elizabeth Moss here does such great work, you uh, you know, just coming off of so many great performances, I was struck by how much of a wholly different person she is here. Like, you're not going to confuse her acting in Shirley or her acting in Invisible Man or her acting in Her Smell mm-hmm. or, or any any other film. She's just so good at giving you a full character. Uh, so... You know, I don't know what form this year's Oscars is going to take, but I'd really love it if she was kept in mind because yeah. this is one of the standout performances. Easily, for me. the whole cast I thought was excellent, and uh, yeah, I mean it, it's you know a little bit of a it a little bit of a slow burn, but I I thought it ends in a really cool way, a really satisfying uh, examination of these relationships, and yeah, just so some top notch acting and directing throughout.
1: Agreed, Stahlberg is. Also, fe- as- oh my. they're just going back at each other.
0: That's I- another dude who's like a-, a completely different person in every role. Every he single
1: thing. Yeah, he'd be scary yeah. in one role. And then the next one, you're like, oh, you're the dad and call me by your name. Uh, <laughs> y- I still remember. Yeah, I-, I really wish you were able to enter that. I-, I remember when we had sat. I think it was Amanda and I we were able to make it in. And we were saving the seats up at the front uh, in the balcony. And y'all mm. just got cut off, I think, from the wait list. And it's like, ugh. I knew that would have been one of your favorites for the from the fest. But hey, yeah. to it. lo- see a lot of good stuff. Yeah.
0: On Hulu now, so other people can catch up with Shirley. Uh, also, I caught An American Pickle, the latest HBO Max release uh, starring dual Seth Rogan's uh, based on a sh- short story by Simon Rich. Uh, this one's got Seth Rogen playing a immig- immigrant from an Eastern, Euro- fictional Eastern European country who comes to America and gets preserved in a vat of pickles for a 100 years, uh, meets his great-grandson who looks just like him. Uh, it's a silly premise, uh, another one of those uh, dual character roles mm-hmm. that we've seen a lot of people do. Uh, Paul Rudd, more recently on that Netflix show, or, uh, you know, it's a very common theme. Uh, yeah. With major comedy actors to do that kind of performance, uh, I thought here he's doing a particularly good job, though, at giving you two characters. There's no point at which it feels like he's slipping into one or the other. Yeah, I I felt like he was very distinctly two different guys. He, he did which, a good job. Uh, worked for me. Uh, there's moments in this movie that I found really warm and intimate, in kind of like a in like a really uh, heartwarming way. The the way in which they look out for each other as family these like strange weird family that's been created uh and that stood out to me as some of the better moments there's a lot of very silly humor that i liked i, I like very early in the movie when uh the scientist is, is explains how he was able to be preserved and they go oh uh, everybody believed it <laughs> and then everybody believes it uh but i, I didn't like as much when the film got a little bit more contentious, when it was like a budding rivalry yeah. and talked a little bit of like cancel culture, uh, that, that stuff's maybe a little bit broad in not broad in a way that I liked less. Uh, but I thought there was like a warm heartedness that, throughout that really made me stick with stick with it. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I don't know how you feel though.
1: I did. I, uh, yeah. So I, I, did end up catching American pickle as well, uh, yeah. during the weekend and, it reminded me a lot of the cobbler. Uh, not a not a comparison that I was hoping to hear, but okay. <laughs> I, I know a lot of people don't like the cobbler, but I feel it's like it's that me included. You don't like the cobbler.
0: Yeah, I kind of hated The Gobbler.
1: Oh, okay. Well, then let me compare it to another movie. It, it it's <laughs> No, go ahead. I, I, I agree with you in the sense where it's like it's, it's a very funny premise and it's got a lot of really good moments in it. There's a certain point where, like you said, the movie tries to do the, uh, oh, you know about cancel culture? We're just going to include it here. Uh, oh, the, the permit side of it. It's, it's like the beats that it has to hit at certain points, um, which to me isn't as, as funny as like an intimate moment that you create between the two characters. Um, mm-hmm. But
0: it, it was funny. Like, I love just that a Small moment like them dancing together, yeah, and the, the like cultural difference of that, uh, wh- where he's one of them's astounded by the music even being played, and the other is, uh, it's just a regular moment, it's just a regular, I yeah. Uh,
1: I, I'm a huge fan <laughs> of a night's, uh, I think it's a night's tale, The Return of the Night. I can't, it's the one with uh, Leon the Professional, and he's a knight and he arrives in modern day times. <laughs> Someone will know what we're talking about. That yeah. movie is hilarious because he thinks like. It's a demon horse, and it's just a taxi cab, but he's a knight. He doesn't know the difference. Uh, another right, perfect right. one, which would be the reverse, would be, uh, what is it, Dark Knight? Black Knight with Martin Lawrence, Black who knight actually, with who Lawrence, actually yes. goes back. So you know what? I'll compare Blair's. it to those two instead of the cobbler. How about that? Cool.
0: I, I see that. Those are definitely comparisons that I can t- So Yeah. I mean, it's it's not going to change your life or, or really like teach you that much of a lesson, but I thought it was warm and funny at, at a few moments made me laugh out loud. Yeah. Uh, definitely one of the more Jewish movies I've seen, <laughs> at least since Uncut Gems. Uh, was so. this the
1: reason why he went and he did the whole tour? And he started saying yeah. the things he was saying? Yeah. I think there's better ways to promote the movie, my man. But, yo. <laughs> hey, he got himself in a pickle there for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you wanted to talk about the... Uh, he knew he knew. He uh, knew. The okay. Satoshi we got our, uh, our, our I did four. want to
0: bring up the rental quickly. Oh yeah, let's talk about the rental that. for sure, for sure. Yeah, because I know you put up the. Let me explain. Uh, it's of the, the, of course, the directorial debut from Dave Franco, uh, starring his wife Alison Brie. Uh, it's uh, this small horror movie. Mm-hmm. I think Joe Swanberg is the co-director or co-writer of co-writer. it. Um, co-writer, co-writer. Uh, so it's got that very limited uh, and, and like character-focused thing that Joe Swanberg likes to do. Uh, I thought it had some interesting moments in it, the way that it kind of tries to l- build some sexual tension and xenophobic tension uh, and just kind of gives you this looming feeling of something is going to go wrong. Uh, those were bits of it that I thought were good. Uh, ultimately, though, it just sort of devolves into like a very ordinary slasher film. Uh, and it, yeah, it, it was a bit of a letdown for me. I a don't know if there's anything more you wanted to expand on than what you talked about in your video.
1: No, that's it. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. like you either like it or you don't. I was like, to me, it, it's, again, it's, uh, you get these rentals <laughs> to rent every week. And out of the other ones, I was very surprised with his uh, directing. And it was more so because it's like, you can tell he was paying attention when he's around Joe Swamberg, When he's around all of the directors that he's been with, you can tell that he has a passion for it. Um, I, I liked the moments where he touched upon all those things that you said. But it's just like a hint of cinnamon in the recipe, you know. It's it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like he's doing anything more with it. It's cool to have there, and I was like, okay, you can do something with this franchise, which is what he already wants it to be. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, decent rent it. That's what I, that's how I had it. Nothing more to add to it, but yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, uh, however.
1: I do like—I um, don't i feel so bad blinking on the name right now, but the actress who was in it, who was also in *We the Animals*, I thought she did a fantastic job uh, yeah, yeah. in her previous role. So I'm curious to see what other roles she gets from here.
0: Totally, yeah. I thought the cast was all really good in it, um, but it definitely feels like a Dave auditioning for a potentially bigger movie in the future. Yeah. Um, so I can see that. We'll see how that goes. All right, so let's get into some Satoshi Kon. It was uh, recont- recommended to us by Magnitude Reviews. Yes, sir. In our uh, donation drive. We wanted to check out the Japanese film animator and magna art- magna artist who manga artist who uh, died at 46 from pancreatic cancer. Wow. Uh, so a premature ending to a pretty astounding legacy. He wrote and directed four feature-length films, along with creating the series Paranoia Agent and the short film Good Morning, as well as contributing to several other films. Uh, And as uh, Magnitude brought up to us, he's a filmmaker who's been referenced a lot by many iconic filmmakers. Big! Uh, Most notably, notably probably Darren Aronofsky who, uh, I, I don't know if this is real or just one of those things that people tweet and retweet for years and years, but did he actually get the rights to perfect blue so he could recreate shots in Requiem for a dream. Or is that just one of those weird rumors?
1: Hey, enjoy the movie. From what I know, that's all that. Uh, uh, who'd you say? Who was the director? Was it Fincher? Or not Fincher? Uh, Aronofsky. Aronofsky Aronofsky was just like, Hey, the movie's out. Enjoy it. (laughs) It is shot for shots. Uh, very much there. They just said they pay homage. See, they got to understand, right. Tarantino laid the groundwork out, and he said, you don't take from something unless it's po- pre-1950. If it's anything <laughs> too close, people are going to figure out. Nolan being another one who has very, very similar shot for shots uh, that he used for, from I think it was Paprika, it was a perfect blue yeah. for um,
0: Inception.
1: *Inception*. So, yeah. Uh, I know you covered two. You got to watch two of them. I got to watch I those actually two. got to watch all four of them. My man yeah. Alright let's go Let's break them down We'll, we'll go through each I one I had some hoopla
0: issues at first But you know The people oh, at work? the library They're you. very responsive They're very helpful And uh, got that working Fire.
1: So Shout out to hoopla yeah. I believe most of the films Are on there And hoopla is a way That you can literally watch A bunch of movies They got Denny Villeneuve's Polytechnique i would never even seen that one yet That's the one Denis Villeneuve I haven't seen And they just got it um, mm-hmm. They never had it in my library You just get a library yeah, card so And you're able to stream it So many international titles It's
0: dope So many international titles It's and free movies a bunch of even recent releases are available on Hoopla. That's surprising so uh, yeah Our favorite bad movie of the year Inheritance available on Hoopla
1: Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'm about to rewatch it then. <laughs> the Backyard. Okay. All right, let's talk about which one do you want to start with? Uh let's start with the first
0: one, Perfect okay. Blue. His is directorial or featured directorial debut. Uh maybe the most famous of his films, uh a story of a pop star turned actress who has a creepy fan sort of interfering with her life and getting himself involved in ways uh, it's a really uh, it's a really disorienting film in a lot of ways he does these match cuts throughout that are very very cool the way that he's able to hop back and forth through time and connect scenes in a way that like there, it almost feels like one scene that never ends mm-hmm. the way that this movie is blended together uh, and the swirling chaos of it is something that you can definitely tell uh, more than just the shots that Darren Ar- Aronofsky lifted for Requiem for a Dream that feeling of losing control I feel like is something that's present for Requiem for a Dream and in Mother like it reminded me of both of those films mm-hmm. for them, uh, th- that it definitely has that vibe of it. Uh, so the way that he keeps you questioning throughout Perfect Blue, the, the reality of the situation, it, it was very satisfying and very gripping. Uh, for me, it was the one of his four films that I enjoyed the most. I, I don't know if you what were your thoughts on Perfect Blue?
1: Um, I haven't seen this one in a while. I ended up catching Tokyo, Go, uh, Tokyo Godfathers and Millennium oh, okay, Actress because okay. uh, I, I still had the other like 70 other movies to catch. Uh, but I right, have right. caught this and I have also caught Paprika. Um the the thing i remember the most about this movie was like you said the editing techniques and i remember listening to an interview where he had said that the reason why he loves animation he's always like you know preferred it to live action mm-hmm. is that in live action there's too many too many frames in the type of match cuts or transitions that he's trying to do and by having it be drawn animation, he is able to just have it be the minimal amount of frames that he needs, and it works better for the eye. And he's able mm-hmm. to, like... And he does this a lot in Tokyo Godfathers, too, because Tokyo Godfathers was the only one I had not seen of the four, which when it was pitched to us, he was like, hey, you don't even have to worry about it. It's just four? Guarantee he's got no more coming out. Um, right. But it's, it's the way that he just uh, is able to transition from one scene to another. Uh, it was funny because I had also been recommended Speed Racer, which does... Effects and transitions stuff. to, like, the next degree. Uh, obviously, the Wachowski one. But, uh, yeah, that's one of the biggest things that stood out to me the first time I had watched it years ago when I had uh, gone into his films.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it's totally what stands out throughout his films. He does a lot of that in, in across his filmography. But I think uh, maybe it's at its best or most effective for me in Perfect Blue. I uh, saw you put it as one the, of your favorites. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was maybe the best thing that I watched in the month Ooh, of July that I hadn't that. seen before. So, yeah. Uh, Shout out to shout out to Satoshi Kon's first. It, it, it's a great one. Uh, had a really satisfying twist late in the film too. I, I was not expecting uh, the way that it progressed, so mm-hmm. it yeah kept me entertained throughout. I like this one a lot. Dope. Um, Millennium actress was the second film. Yes, he sir. Made, uh, the a profile of a aging actress who. Uh, It's a profile of her life and her career, a fictional actress and a documentary crew that goes to interview her about it. And again, you get these match cuts throughout. Uh, He does this really cool thing in that uh, she will start to tell a story about her life and it'll bleed into um, flashbacks to that moment and then the scene will evolve and it'll turn into one of her film roles and you you see the same characters popping up throughout and you, it kind of leaves you to decipher like, is this person actually that person or is this person a representation of this type of figure or is it a way of blending her real life experiences with her movie career uh, and that way in which it kind of Keeps switching between the story It's trying to tell you eventually Involving uh, the documentary crew Itself is is very Very hypnotizing uh, in Its way the story here I was maybe a little less involved with uh, Than perfect blue Uh, You know it maybe Because it is a fictional actress uh, I'm a little less tied To like the idea of you know Going throughout her career Her history and so yeah you're not as attached Exactly um, but it, as a representation of, uh, you know, historic telling this history, it is very interestingly done, um, and, and beautiful throughout, uh, again, that, that match cutting is like so precise, like you mentioned, like down to certain frames in a way that if you wanted to try and redo this live action, you would never be able to get it so
1: perfect. Exactly. Uh, I didn't get to see Paranoia Agent, but I was listening to a lot of the interviews that he said there and how he was recalling back to stuff from his movies that he was never able to use. And a lot of the stuff had come from Millennium Actress, specifically dealing with, like, identity and such. And uh, one of the quotes that he had had was how he writes these characters. It's less about how did the character – and I believe I have it here, actually, that it wasn't – not about how characters get involved in situations, but how those situations affect them. That everybody wants to know, it's like, how can we, you know, how is the vantage point? That everybody's, like, focusing on the situation, but it's like, how does it affect the characters? As opposed to the documentary crew just being a part of it and, and the stuff that she had gone through. It's like, how do the situations that they've gone through affect them? Not how, the, how do they affect the situation? So I think that's, like, uh, the most interesting aspect of how he writes his stories. And he does the same thing with... Uh, Tokyo as well which we'll talk about but yeah Mm -hmm. again it's just how he plays with perspective and how he uses animation that honestly rewatching it I don't know what it is with American animation and all of the technology we put into it but this type of animation still holds up to this day like and I think it has to do because they're implementing it not to just look aesthetically pleasing or like fun or colors which a lot of American animation does but it's like it's actually telling you a story and because he's telling you a story and he's he's using every single aspect of what's on screen, not just as, like, beautiful animation, but as an actual storytelling um, technique. So, I, I agree. I don't think yeah. this could be adapted.
0: Right. As much as I feel like you could almost try to do an interesting version of it, it's just so precise in the way he yeah. goes through it. Uh, that emotional disconnect is maybe what made me not... As uh, receptive immediately towards this, but I have the feeling that this is going to be a movie that like exists in the back of my mind for a while to to maybe warm me up to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it's so so unique in its approach to storytelling, in uh, the wide scope of stories it's trying to tell, uh, that ambition is something that I, I was really uh, awed by here because uh, it's it's something that would be very hard to do in another medium um so yeah maybe not as much of a standout for me but uh i liked it quite a bit uh i don't know if you want to move on to tokyo godfathers which for me was uh not as interesting but you seem to like it more
1: well it was because it was this is the only one i hadn't seen so i find it funny it is it is definitely like out of all the movies this is the most like it was pitched as a Christmas movie. Like, looking back at the marketing that they right. had for it, this was like the Christmas movie that was very anti-Christmas to a degree because it calls out commercialism. Uh, mm-hmm. I know it's based off of the novel Three Godfathers, which has been adapted multiple times. Uh, and instead of them being three homeless people who end up finding a child, it ends up uh, always being three robbers. I know John Wayne even has an adaptation of uh, The Three Godfathers. Mm-hmm. Um, with this one being Jen Hanna and Miyuki... Uh, and the coincidences in this. That was the one thing where I was like, there's so many times where you have like a deuce ex machina thing that happens. But here it's mm-hmm. like, it's so... Bl- like they find a man who's about to die. They find a baby. They, they find every single person who ends up helping them in their, in their path of what they're going through. And then you realize mm-hmm. at a certain point I was like, yo, this man is purposefully using cliches, coincidences as something in his story. And I search up and he's like, yeah, that's all I'm doing. Um... With it being the Christmas story and how they have um, the entire, uh, every single billboard that you see. There was like an interesting aspect of it where whatever the billboard was advertising, you would notice that some of the restaurants or places were called that. Not to compare it to Marvel, but Marvel did this thing where once Thor enters the MCU in America, there are certain um, Nordic, what is it called? Nordic uh, churches that they've implanted mm. throughout the franchise because in this world, Thor came down. Some people worship right. him. So the idea would have been here is that in commercialism, you have all of these places. And I know we talked about it a little about it in the Five Bloods. All of these billboards have to a degree, not infected, but reached the. Um, the culture that that's what they name the restaurants after some of the products, the say exact same products that you're seeing up on the screen and such. Um, yeah, but no,
0: hyper commercial vision. Of exactly. Tokyo, yeah. Which is, a, which is a extremely commercialized city. Uh, but here you get to see that juxtaposition between, uh, the, the wealth that some people have and the lack of it that our three protagonists have the three homeless people who do find this baby. Um, and I think, uh, you know all that stuff is very interestingly done. Ultimately, what made me again, not as receptive to it is the uh I wasn't as invested in the emotional stories of those characters of uh you know their their search for uh whatever redemptive uh, whatever redemption they needed. Uh, and maybe that's a failing of on my behalf because mm-hmm. I often find myself. Uh, at a distance with animated characters in a way that I don't with a real person in the role. Um, But, you know, it would go to certain emotional places and I wouldn't find myself as emotionally compelled. Uh, Maybe that's also like a subtitles thing too. I don't know. uh, But the, the story here is the least fantastical of his feature films. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he's a, he's a guy who has these crazy floor animated flourishes and, and, there's you see some remnants of that, but it's not the story itself isn't as catered to that kind of uh, wild expression. So maybe because it's a little bit less splashy, uh, this one stands out the least for me. Yeah. But again, you know, you having seen the the films previously, uh, maybe you're a little more uh, aware of, of why this one it does stand out in, in certain good ways for uh, for Satoshi Kon
1: it could also be that it's an adaptation too you know right as right. opposed to the other ones but uh, one of the quotes that I really liked in some of the interviews that he had done for this one was uh, when he had even cast the actress off like a coincidence he was like I like her voice mm-hmm. I think that's what she. That's I think that's how it, what she would sound like. Um, but he said an interesting thing about paranoia and fantasy. That a lot of people are like, uh, you sometimes you focus on paranoia, sometimes you make it more fantastical. Like you had said, he goes to him. They're the same side of the same coin. They're the they're the opposite sides of the same coin. To somebody, something is fantastical and it's positive. But to somebody else, paranoia, it's fantastical to the most um, anxiety driven degree. Uh, So I found that really interesting where he's like, it's just which side you want to carry it out. And uh, yeah, Paprika, his final
0: film. His final film, uh, potentially his most influential film. I'd say so. A really interesting anime movie movie. Uh, about a research psychologist who uses a device that can enter people's dreams as a way of helping to treat patients. Although uh, from the very start, we are already getting some malfunctioning in this dream device. And and here, Satoshi Kon really doubles down on that disorienting match cut aesthetic that he developed in his earlier films here because uh, it's just constantly... Uh, going in and out of dreams and adding in new elements and and, uh, suddenly transporting you to a different time and place. Uh, There's all these recurring elements from like the parade to uh, the the different dolls and stuff. It's so uh, visually, I want to say this in a positive way, visually assaultive though, uh, in a way that I think it gives you like the most of what he can do in terms of uh, blending worlds in this way that, you know, messes with you. And here it really, the aim is to mess with you because he's giving you the story where it's hard to, for the first half of it, you're very much unaware of like what really is real, what are we really doing here? Uh, it's deeply confusing. I was lost for long stretches <laughs> of the movie in a way, uh, I, I in a way that felt totally intentional. You know, it's an insane dream that you don't know how to escape.
1: I'd say th- to take your assaulting what and say manipulative, not in a bad way. Yeah. You know, it's just, he knows what he's doing with the beats. It's like, you know how like you have a frequency and you know how that's going to cause an emotion out of somebody. He does the exact same thing here with, uh, the imagery that he puts on and how he cuts it and how he decides to show it to you. Uh, that it it is, it's meant to make you disoriented just like the character. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, it's clear It's clear from the premise alone the uh, influence that this movie has had on Inception, even some shots. I was shots, trying to find a way
1: uh, to, yeah. Some of the shots are like 100% taken uh, Yeah, there's taken a certain
0: it. one with like the world shattering, which uh, there's Twitter gifs of uh, that in comparison to the Ellen page, yeah. one of some of the world shattering in Inception. So yeah, you can really see Christopher Nolan uh, borrowing liberally from this film. I, I talked a little bit in, in on Letterboxd about how uh, I, I feel like some of the comparisons between this movie and Inception aren't necessarily fair to what a satisfying piece of populist entertainment Inception is, because like this movie is a is deeply weird in a way that would not work on most American audiences. Right? True. Like you have to have to be ready and willing to get lost and, and be be confused and have your mind blown by this movie uh you know there's a lot of people who are like oh inceptions mind-blowing but it's it's, it's not really it's not like, it's pretty it's pretty like it, it easy to follow you know because Nolan has structured it so rigidly uh because that's the thing Nolan does with his movies is give you a rigid structure yeah Satoshi Khan isn't interested in that he's not exactly in a deep end. uh and, and that's like I think that we should celebrate both those films on their own merits yeah. um I will say ultimately one thing that took me out of uh, of Paprika was the fat phobia because it was frequent and uh, like just unrelenting in certain aspects and uh, I don't know uh, it just 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 depressed me man.
1: Tokyo Godfathers has the same thing with the character who is trans. Uh, they were right. looking back at it and a trans person, sorry, they were looking back at it and the actor. Um, <laughs> the interviews for the actor, looking back at it now, and the people who have gone back to look at it were like, wow, because he doesn't refer to her as a woman, which is the whole point of the character who he's voicing. Right. And that's like how you're introduced to the character. So it is, yeah, there, it is interesting looking back at these four movies, um, and in particular, th- th- these two cases and seeing like how that has shifted in the viewpoint. And I, I don't know how much of it comes from... I mean, it has to come from Satoshi, but at least in the case of the Tokyo Godfather, uh, it came from the actor. Like the actor was just like, it was a fun costume to wear, (laughs) which if you say that today, you're going to be Halle buried out of here. They're going to send you you a Scarlet.
0: You end up in the Disclosure
1: documentary. 100%. So, but yeah, no, so out of all of them, how would you rank them?
0: Uh, For me, Perfect Blue was definitely the standout. Uh, Far and away, my favorite of his films. I just was really into the story and everything. Uh, and then, I don't know, um, I thought Paprika was more uh, unique and, and kind of maybe mind-blowing, but mm-hmm. I, maybe I was a little more satisfied with Millennium Actress than yeah. that one.
1: Yeah, I go the same way. That's I go, depressed me about yeah, it. Yeah, Perfect Blue, Millennium, uh, especially on the rewatch, because I agree with you. I think the, what, the moment you rewatch it again, because it's like, again, you're mm. following her journey for the first time, you don't know her. Once you know her, rewatching it, it's like, oh, I semi-know the fictional actress. Um, and then I would still put Tokyo at the at, at the bottom. I just liked it because it was yeah. one I had not seen. <laughs> um, totally. And it's definitely, it's definitely a little bit different than the other ones if you don't want to get too deep into the craziness that he does with his other movies, but...
0: No. Yeah, yeah, that might be my uh, more of like a dipping your toes into the water mm-hmm. choice. There, uh,
1: he also has a movie that never got finished. I don't know if they're ever going to eyes wide shut it, but he does mm. have like script and concepts and they're, they're still kicking it around. It's not dead yeah. yet. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that.
0: Yeah, we'll see. They uh, finished the uh, Orson Welles movie after a while. So <laughs> no, you never know. Who knows? Who knows? So yeah, thanks again to Magnitude Reviews for suggesting we do that Satoshi Kon deep dive uh, and make sure you check out those films or let us know what you think of those films if you've had a chance to check them out. Uh, But that's what we've been watching. Let us know what you've been watching down in the comments or by shooting us an email, intricapod at gmail.com. We are going to move on to the yay or nay where we break down the latest happenings in entertainment starting with the battle between Universal Pictures and AMC theaters. It's been settled. The biggest theater chain in America will once again show Universal's movies. However, Universal can put those films on PVOD as early as 17 days after the theatrical release. Art, yay or nay, you think more studios will follow Universal's lead?
1: Like, inevitably, I would think so. Because they're not following Universal's lead Netflix has been doing this. They did it with The Irishman. They did it with Roma. They did it, with you know, it was going to be available on Netflix the following month. You just were not able to make a deal with AMC because AMC still doesn't like Netflix to the point that they don't even showcase the best. <laughs> Remember, when? Remember when it was Roma, but then the previous year, it was Marriage Story Uh, the Irishman that were nominated for best picture but they were so petty they didn't include it in the watch along for the best picture Mm -hmm. showcase Uh, they've been doing that I don't I I don't know the financials off the top of my head to see how it worked for Marriage Story how it Mm -hmm. did in independent theaters before it went to Netflix Um, I know that when it came to the Irishman (laughs) it was packed uh, right now, thinking they were about selling out a yeah, Broadway theater. Th- exactly, thinking about who filled that up though. In an enclosed place, that would not be possible right now. They would have left like the man at the end of the movie, but uh, they still showed up. And I think it it really is going to come down depending to the property. I know they were saying that they were still going to play it both ways, where some movies will come out day in and day of the release in theaters and Mm -hmm. digital. They said that there were still going to be other movies that were going to keep the 90-day thing, obviously because it benefits them. Like, let's keep it... We know what what they're mentioning here. It's not going to be fast. It's not going to be Jurassic. It's not going to be any of those. So... It's not that they're going to. They already are. This is just AMC willing to sign a contract with somebody who wants to do it, but Netflix has been doing it. Netflix has been doing it.
0: Yeah, and I think... Net, companies like Netflix and you know even Amazon and others are, are helping to contribute to the erasing of that window of that uh, delayed release window uh, we are in extreme circumstances right now because of coronavirus but that this has been a, a A process that's been ongoing for months and years and maybe decade you know uh, that movie theaters are losing that exclusivity and they're gonna have to change with the times or not get access to certain movies and you know we talked about this back when amc first uh, threatened universal with not showing any more of their movies that they weren't going to be able to Last until the time that the next Fast and Furious movie came out because Fast and Furious is more important to a company like AMC than it ultimately is. Uh, Universal can put that on video on demand and they would still make a lot of money. Maybe not the money that they want to make, but like if without movies like Fast and Furious, nobody's going back to the AMC. Exactly. Uh, what struck me as particularly interesting were some of the stipulations here, uh, including that AMC will be receiving some of the uh some of the revenue from movies that go to PVOD before that 90 window 90 day window so AMC is making out really well here um another weird thing that i didn't i thought was pretty underreported is that universal is not allowed to release the release date of VOD until after 10 days in a theatrical exclusive window so what? there could be a movie that they put out you go see it in a movie theater and then oh. 10 days later you find out it's going to VOD in seven days.
1: That's funny. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's dumb, but that's great because then that way you stop people from going I don't know, I don't, I don't, Hey, I, they got to see it in these 10 days or do I not? I mean, some people, I, I think they underestimate how many people don't see a movie till like two weeks later. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I see what you mean. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty weird rule. I'm wondering what the thing that you said about how AMC is going to be able to have a cut. AMC never liked streaming. Uh, they introduced AMC On Demand, though. If they're going to be pushing that as the option to be able to get a cut, that they will be hosting mm-hmm. the PVODs through their AMC On Demand, which already comes in the app. And if that's the case, does that mean that you will be able to use one of your physical check-ins for your Premiere stubs as a VOD stream. Interesting. That would be could dope. Be,
0: could pay to be an A-list member. You
1: know what I mean? We always talk about this with the festivals. Yeah. We're like, wouldn't it be easier to just give someone a screener and you have another right. seat you could fill? So I don't know. That'll be interesting.
0: Yeah. It'll be very interesting and especially interesting to see which movies ultimately go through that limited theatrical window and which movies they decide to stay like for a month in theaters or th- 90 days.
1: Well, we will see. Let's hope it's... I was going to say two movies, but they were both Warner Bros. So never mind. <laughs> Imagine it be like one of the biggest ones. Disney
0: is done sitting on their many unreleased blockbuster films with movie theaters not quite ready for a billion dollar release. Disney is instead shifting Mulan to Disney Plus on September 4th. However, unlike Hamilton or Artemis Fowl. Mulan will cost $30 on top of a Disney Plus membership in order to own it. So, Art, yay or nay, the release of Mulan is a sign of things to come for Disney's other major movies.
1: Yes. My question to you is, do you think, because people are like, this announcement shows that they have been updated with the news and theaters are going to be open. Don't you think that they, do you think they knew about this long ago? They just weren't allowed to, like tell you it's going to go to VOD until the moment they decided this is the around the time that it's going to go to VOD. I
0: mean, I think, you know, we also got news recently that Disney's theme parks are doing even worse than expected. Even the ones that have opened up again. What? Uh, we also got news that uh, the Hamilton, the Hamilton bump that many people projected was not quite as significant a bump in subscribers. Um, as previously thought so they're not making a whole lot of money as a company right now so to me this is probably something they were holding on to in their back pocket okay. like all right we, we got this potential revenue stream and looking at the the landscape right now they realized we're probably not going to make a lot of money this year otherwise this is one of their their last cards to play is they've got these movies and they've got streaming. But they still want to get people onto Disney Plus, so they're not going to just go VOD the way they did with Onward initially. Uh, they they are centralizing it here, and what I don't know if this has been the plan with Disney Plus all along, or if this is uh, I, I I would speculate that it's been uh, more of a plan because of coronavirus. But it, it definitely presents an interesting alternative for them, given how much stuff they have, how much premium content they're talking about putting out through Disney Plus when, you know, the the subscription already gives you access to such a vault of stuff. I could see a future where they are like, no, 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 the sign up fee is to get the Simpsons and Pixar movies. But to get the new WandaVision show, you also got to pay thirty dollars for that or something.
1: I wanted to say a couple of nice things, but then you made me go straight to the bad things. <laughs> they got rid of, or want to get rid of, physical releases. By getting rid of physical releases, we'll be talking about it's that It's st- the yeah, you know. So this is a way to be able to do what? You are going to be able to lease out movies. You know, you paid the th- hey. Mm-hmm. If you were to buy it, you purchase the movie. Then at that point, you own it for the what? Twenty four ninety nine. I don't. I don't know if the movies would go up to thirty. But at this point, you've paid thirty dollars. But you still have to pay the subscription fee every single time or else it goes away. I do like the aspect of being able to own it, you know, because it's either you got to rent it for 48 hours or do you own it? And they found a compromise somewhere in the middle where it's like, all right, you will be able to own it as long as you have the fee. I get it. It works. But like you said, in the long run, this is going to turn into everyone's going to do it. The Universal movies are going to do it through Peacock. The Warner Bros. movies are going to do it through HBO Max. And it's like going to be like, oh, you have an account? cool but do you have the maxed out account though did you have all these extra movies added on bro and if that's the way that they're going to be selling movies too that's going to be scary because then it's like i hope we still have voodoo's i hope we still have the apple tvs and i'm sure that they will still be there but it's like yeah they're really tying it into also having that service everybody wants you to lease everybody wants you to lease they don't want you to own and that's the scariest part i like it it's thirty dollars at home I know it's not it's not great for everyone. I understand that. The people who live at home by themselves want to remind you that they don't have the exact same TV and that it's not equal to a family of four. But for the family of fours that this would have been targeting, yeah. I think it's fantastic for the big families. They don't have to go out into the theater. They get to see it from home. And and, and you get to share it with everybody on your profile.
0: Right. I like, think. I also, we were talking about this back when uh, the first movies were starting to go to VOD that like, you know, yeah, they were at $20, but Scoob then had that $20, uh, $25 option and now purchase. Mulan is $30 like I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to release the new Bond movie that they try doing that for like 40 or $50 like it's a premium movie it's a movie that cost more to make I, I understand their, the, the idea to potentially charge more for it here it's $30 seems like a reasonable option given that it's a primarily family oriented film and that's a movie that uh, would cost a lot more than $30 for a family to see in theaters Uh, But, yeah, just that idea of including it in the Disney Plus subscription is potentially worrisome. I do think that, you know, some people talked about how I think Robert Daniels, who we like, uh, tweeted that if 50 percent of Disney Plus subscribers uh, paid for Mulan, it would make something like nine hundred million dollars, which sounds like a lot. But that's probably less than it would have made if movie theaters around the world were open. So it does make me a little bit skeptical about future Disney properties going this way, at least the big ones. I don't, yeah. I don't know if we'll see Black Widow unless Disney continues to uh, be searching for revenue, uh, revenue sources.
1: I, no, I agree. And it's pay-per-view. They've, they've been talking about it being 40, 50. Remember Spielberg's comments? I was working on a video for A24, and I was going back, and I stumbled upon him where he said, I was this close to dropping Lincoln on HBO. This is close it would have been an hbo show uh that that they wanted it to be a show they didn't want it to be a movie because you're able to milk out the content baby that we've talked about that The you don't want movies you want shows you want series you want the people Mm. to stay on there watch time for watch time exactly and and that's going to change the landscape but that's a whole other conversation to have about how our viewing habits have changed how we take in content but he had said there's going to be a point where the blockbusters are going to cost 40 50 and something like lincoln is going to cost seven and mm-hmm. I found that dumb at the time.
0: Looking a lot more likely. You know, that Spielberg, that Spielberg
1: guy knows some things. And mm-hmm, uh, he may mm-hmm. have been right there. So, yeah, it definitely feels like it's good. I mean, we're seeing it now. The independent movies, boot them to, boot them to streaming. They don't have a place out there in the world of theaters. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Things are going to change. And when you throw in a pandemic with it, things change a lot faster.
0: Absolutely. Uh, We're not done talking about Disney because in addition to moving Mulan to Disney Plus, the company reportedly halted production on future physical media releases. This not only applies to Disney's vast library of movies, but the many Fox properties that Disney acquired when they purchased 20th Century Fox. So art, yay or nay, No, Disney halting production on physical media is another sign of things to come.
1: Yeah, it is a sign of things to come. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's not good. Dude. Adobe. I remember when you would be able to purchase Adobe Premiere or Adobe right. Photoshop, and now you can't really do that. And when you do the math, I am a big fan of the updates and everything that it comes with. It. You could pay your, you know, uh, I know the school one, I think, is that you go from 9.99 to 19.99 for everything. I pay $30 for everything. And if you do the math in two years' time, that would be the equivalent of having purchased a thing. Right. But I don't get it on that, what is it, 25th month whereas the other one I would have owned. The flip side would be I don't get updates, whereas this I do. But again, it's everything is leased. Every streaming service, you don't own the content. You're leasing it. They want to do that with housing. They want to do it with housing, Zach. They want to do it with our cars. They want to do it with everything. (laughs) Our phones are leased. Everything is leased, Zach.
0: Yeah. Uber movies. Uh, Um, It it sucks, yeah. As somebody who spent way too much time and energy working on my – DVD collection, it definitely saddens me that there are certain films that might be impossible to get uh, once again or get in good enough quality. Like, you know, I again talk about my DVD collection. Like, one of the things that's depressing about it is that that quality, you can really see the difference now on our modern TVs and not being able to get a 4K of some of our favorite movies, not being able to get 4K of uh, Fight Club, I know is one of the movies that. Disney now owns or aliens and Stuff like that like it it's depressing And uh, as somebody who wants to Be able to have access to them and access to them In a way that doesn't require a Monthly fee or that movie even Being available as we See you know some of these movies not even being Available uh, by the companies Who own them yeah it's just It's frustrating uh, To to Limit access to some Of these things that are historical In their own way Mm -hmm. and Uh, to an extent, I get the whole game of limiting access to something that uh, to to make it a little bit more exclusive. But it's tough when it's something that's a little more uh, more than a year or two old. Right. Like I I get why you want to keep a movie in theaters. The exclusivity thing. Exactly. Yeah. But how much money is, is is are some of these classic movies even earning them? Anything right, like, um, we can,
1: Zach, we will squeeze every single penny. Yeah. Yeah. One thing about your DVDs, Depressed. though, one thing about your DVDs, you have a thing called special features. Just paid an arm and a leg for mid-SOMAR 4K. Thank the Lord it came out in 4K. I didn't think it was going right. to. Open that bad What? No special features. I don't know, even Weird. know if it's got a commentary track. Under the Silver Lake don't have one either. That's the other thing that they're taking away is the special features off, off of them yeah. because they could also market those or do something else with it. So,
0: and that's sad too because I, I know you feel the same way. But that's some of the stuff that like it's the reason I the most interested yeah. in Yeah, yeah.
1: That's what got, Yeah, that's what literally gets me. That's what got me into film. I don't know. We're gonna need a VPN with a with, nice. <laughs> with a hacker over here to get to just to be able to get into these services, man. It's crazy. It's insane.
0: Netflix unveiled their top 10 movies of all time. Asterix only based on two minutes of watch time. So if you started a movie and didn't even get through opening credits, that doesn't matter. Netflix counts as you having watched that film and you contributed to some of these movies being in their top 10, including at number 10, The Perfect Date. The only one of these movies that I legitimately had not heard of. Really? Uh, Noah Centineo. 48 Santino. million
1: views. So Noah Uh
0: Number nine, The Platform, which we have talked about. Good to see that movie up there. Good to see number eight, it. Number eight, The Wrong Missy somehow got 59 million views. Uh, number 7 was Triple Frontier Number 6, The Irishman Number uh, 5, okay. Murder Mystery The Adam Sandler, Jen Aniston one Makes sense. Number 4, Six Underground Number 3, <laughs> Spencer Confidential oh. Number 2, Bird Box At 89 million And number 1, Extraction At 99 million Yes, Cribs Hemsworth is in the most Watched Netflix movie of all time Asterix, if you count Two minutes as a watch Art, based on this list, yay or nay, you feel this, this is a meaningful reflection of Netflix's most impactful movies?
1: No. Where's the, where's that Claus movie? The one that, that uh, one. sadly
0: got less than 48 million views, apparently.
1: No, it didn't. That broke box office record, Zach. When it came out, it broke, broke boc- who was it? Russell, whatever. Who's in it? Kevin Costner. <laughs> is it Kevin Costner? Yeah. It's Kevin Costner? Or is it Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell. It's Kurt Russell. Oh, my bad. See, Kevin Costner wouldn't bring in the 300 million that it came in and won. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised that, yeah. But you see what I mean? I'm surprised that didn't make it in there. But Bird Box makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean. They got the sequel coming out. Does it mean anything? No. No, because these are the movies that they put up in the platform for you to, you know, irony, the, for you to actually, like, have it autoplay. You turn on your TV yeah. and it's going to autoplay and you're going to count the two minutes. That's not fair. Especially the yeah. ending auto plays. Oh, the movie just said right. you're gonna go get something, and it's auto playing the next movie. It's like, na-na-na-na-na. But yeah. it's marketing, and it's not a
0: surprise that a lot of these movies are some of their s- recent high profile blockbusters, the ones that they've really been pushing on the service. Uh, like you said, it's that two minute thing. Like, I, I really don't think that this is an accurate met- metric of like what movies were actually watched. Like, I, I watched. Uh, the first like half an hour of the old guard and kind of realized I wasn't paying attention and bailed I don't know if that really counts like I'm not trying to have discussions with people about the old guard
1: mm-hmm.
0: I haven't heard people bring up Spencer confidential. I haven't heard people bring up six underground like casually It just doesn't seem to be the movies that resonate with people on Netflix the you know, I know marriage story is more niche but like there's so many people that are talking about that movie. It, maybe it's not the most watched, but it, maybe it's the most like closely watched or at least mm-hmm. one of them on Netflix. And I feel like there's got to be some titles like that that are, are missing in a way uh, because they've got this weird metric of if you only watch two minutes, that counts for them. It doesn't make sense to me.
1: Twitter should have something. The most tweeted movies. And then that that would let you know who's talking. It has to be. It has to be. What you're asking for, what you're asking for is a source that cannot be Netflix. It has to be an independent source that tracks that stuff. Because over here, all they care about is the max thing. Remember, and I don't know how you felt about this. They used to do the thumbs up. They used to do a proper rating and they stripped it of it.
0: Right, right. Personally,
1: I would hate. Can you imagine? if it was like YouTube and you would go on and you'd see like marriage story has like mm. a 30% because of all the people who right. just hated it it's like i don't i don't want that to come back but they clearly pivot towards um ratings and statistics really that improve their stuff that yeah. that can that can boast to people and to their financiers or whoever else so eh, it doesn't mean anything yeah. but i get exactly. i get what you I mean
0: they they've, they've cherry picked the right statistic that will make it look like A good idea to green light sequels to six underground Spencer Convertential and Extraction.
1: Is that Sunday night baseball uh, at bat while the wind is three degrees in this park while they're eating hot dogs in the stands.
0: Yeah. 20 points on a Thursday after 7
1: p.m. Oh, boy. Got to take that one into account. (laughs) Let's change the pitch. (laughs) Yeah. I, I I don't see it working. But, I mean, every single streaming service, no one's watching them. There is no Nielsen rating. There's no, they're the ones who will be telling you universal will be telling you what they're making as they have uh, Hulu will be telling you what they're making. So I don't know. Yeah. And
0: that's why, you know, social media ends up becoming such a good metric that's for these things because it's hard to trust other sources. Mm hmm. Anyway, so that's it for yay or nay. Let us know what you thought of these stories and what you'd like to see us cover on a future episode in the comments again, or by shooting us that email, intercutpod at gmail.com. Also reach out to us at intercutpod on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. That's our handle on all three, at intercutpod. We're going to get into the topic of the week because the Emmy nominations were unveiled recently in Mm. uh, a pretty awkward Zoom call that uh, Leslie Jones was funny on, but... Uh, Definitely seems like they had some connection problems throughout. That's funny. Uh, Watchmen, one of our favorites of the last year. Maybe our favorite of the last year. Did it get enough? Led all projects with 26 nominations. It was in the Best Limited Series category along with Little Fires Everywhere, Mrs. America, Unbelievable, and Orthodox. So some picks that we like there. Uh, But notably, not in Best Limited Series was devs devs was virtually absent from the Emmys only earning four nominations in tech categories like cinematography and sound editing obviously deserved those but come on give my boy nick offerman some love He was so good on that
1: that's how nick offerman wanted it to be in the show you didn't want anyone to know about devs snooping around devs none of that stuff i agree with you um one of the ones that stood out to me was uh the watchman <laughs> Is it? They got nominated for the older version of Reeves and the younger version of Reeves. Am I mistaken?
0: Yeah, come on. Yeah, uh, <laughs> come on. It, it, I think in was it in supporting actor or guest actor? Maybe um, that Louis Gossett Jr. and the other actor who played uh, William Reeves. Both got
1: uh, I think it was a reoccurring one. Uh, it must have been because I also have something to say about the the special guest ones are ridiculous. I'm seeing people who were main characters appear as guest performances and that's that martian putting it as a comedy because you know you're gonna win it type thing Mm -hmm. but uh no yeah i thought that was pretty dope no there was it was weaver not getting nominated for unbelievable when yeah come on now i mean
0: both i love tony deaver and Merritt weaver didn't get those uh actress nominations for unbelievable what did she need to do to me it's like yeah, like what other performance are you watching that's better than Merritt Weaver's performance on Unbelievable? It, it give them I, both. It's just astounding to me. They're both so good on that. Uh, I was worried for a second that none of them got nominated, but I saw Tony Collette got nominated. So yeah, at least at <sighs> that. But you know, Tony Collette is the most established name of that bunch, and they're all so good on the show. Mentioned like Danielle McDonald also in more of a guest role. Like I just I I, I was awestruck by Unbelievable last year. Um, so I'm a, a bit of disappointed to not see it uh, get a little bit more love here uh, in the Emmy nominations. Uh, but also, you know, there were a, a few acting uh, snubs that were kind of weird. The what else? cast of Better Call Saul almost all entirely getting uh, not getting the love. Bob Odenkirk, who's been nominated in the past, didn't get the nomination. Ray Seahorn, who's giving one of the best performances on TV, also not getting a nomination once again. Uh, and, and that's a show that's been uh, awarded quite a bit by the Emmys, not quite as much as Breaking Bad but was, but it feels like they're maybe ignoring it a little bit, which mm-hmm. is a shame since that show has continued to be really excellent. I- I'm starting to work my way through that fifth season now, and it's just, it's I don't know. They've still got it. That the Albuquerque gang is still <laughs> the best people out there at making uh, episodic television. I think.
1: Um, I was. Surprised. I know some people were. Were you going to say something? Just a quick one, like they. If you look back at it, gave Modern Family s- too many awards and on their final season for said bye-bye. Is it because F- Modern Family decided to stop giving out gift baskets since they weren't going to have a, a, an, up following, like an upcoming season? I don't I know what happened there. I'm surprised they didn't even get a nomination after the mark they did like on the Emmys for the longest time. So many shows were dismissed or not given the proper due because of that. So, uh
0: yeah, a show like Homeland, which has done so well at the Emmys for so many years, did not get like any nominations, I believe, uh, for its most recent final season. So ah, it, it's interesting in the way that Emmys will sort of embrace some shows like, full-heartedly, yeah. and then they kind of just fall off a cliff at some point with them. And I hope that's not the case for a show like Better Call Saul, which is doing some great work mm-hmm. uh, as it rounds near its ending. Uh, I do think, though, it's worth discussing the new top dog at the Emmys because Succession was everywhere. 18 nominations. Almost yeah, all yeah. of the yeah, main cast yeah. got nominated. Three supporting actor nominations. He's it, telling y'all unreal. to watch
1: it. Go watch Succession. Zach wants you to watch Succession. Please watch. And Succession. then he's going to get mad when everyone's watch Succession. watching Succession. He's going to be like, I was there from the start. <laughs>
0: I am the Succession hipster. It's true. Uh, uh, but shout out to my boys, the Roy family, the number one boys. Doing well. Uh, best drama, the nominees were Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, Killing Eve, The Mandalorian, Ozark, Stranger Things, and Succession. See, you want to pause uh, on,
1: on Mandalorian. Stranger Things, the new Coke season?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean... That's something that I do want to kind of talk about here because Netflix has the most nominations out of any network in this category with The Crown. That's crazy. With Ozark and with Stranger <laughs> Things. However, uh, we see Stranger Things kind of dipping in quality with each successive season, and it kind of and it didn't get a lot of other nominations that it had in the past. So I do wonder if it's run in best drama. Maybe we'll end this year unless we see like a pickup or bigger baskets. And you got Ozark, given so that means which. Uh, Ozark Which is, has Two half seasons Coming up We, we found out How but, does that work uh, Emmy wise uh, You bet Netflix Is going to put them In different Emmy cycles To earn as many awards As they can How is that They're fair be, uh, Breaking Bad did it Mad Men did it I don't know Did they I really know. I believe so It was like so f- Maybe somebody can correct
1: 5A nominated 5B nominated Like that's goofy yeah.
0: <laughs> uh. Um. And And The Crown is also coming to the end of its run. So even though Netflix does have a big presence here in the best drama category, it does make me wonder, you know, a year or two from now, uh, what is going to be that Netflix show that they really push for Emmys? Uh, Will they have that show or are they going in more of like a a populist Umbrella Academy, 13 Reasons Why, uh, sensational, fun show direction?
1: I mean, they have stuff like, for example... Well, I mean, I'm focusing more on HBO, but I think Euphoria should have fit in there for the drama series. Yeah. Uh, I am really glad that The Morning Show isn't on there, but if we're talking... Bro, we just literally said, please don't tell me they're splitting seasons to A and B. This is the same season. Is it not? For Morning Show? They got nominated last time. Did they not?
0: I don't... I think that, that might have just been the Globes. I don't okay, know. Okay, because
1: I'm like, bro, how are they getting nominated once again? It's like these people, right. they released it right from the cycle and they mixed out like one season to be, to be both. Uh, I still think Euphoria could have made it up there. Um, yeah.
0: And that might just be because it's so early in its run and not a lot of shows get in there in that first season, which is, again, one of the reasons why it was so exciting when Zendaya cracked the uh, best actress, or Zendaya, excuse me, yeah. cracked the best actress field. Um, you know, I, we both think she's giving one of the best performances on TV, and uh, it's glad. To, it's I'm glad to see the Emmy voters uh, recognize that too. Uh, hopefully, as season two comes back, we go further and further into that show. The show will the show will also be recognized in other ways, whether that's best drama, whether that's some of the uh, less M- famous actors music, in it, like Hunter Schaefer
1: Everything, 100. percent Dude, bad education. Yeah. Best TV movie. I don't like the yeah. title on it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's a little bit depressing, but uh, glad to see that uh, our boy Corey Finley's in there and it's getting some love. Uh, Bro, it is in categories. the middle of
1: a Dolly Parton one. No offense on American Son, it's good, better as a Broadway play. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is like, w- what's going on here?
0: The interactive special, which it's going I, up against interactive
1: it's going up against a pointing click, Zach. What are we, yeah, we do with
0: That's the weird. That's the weirdness with these different categories. Like, Emmys have tried to subdivide all these things into smaller and smaller categories, and it makes some of them like we. It, it makes the, the the actual nominees a weird collection. Yeah, but we I also I don't know what else you're gonna do about it.
1: We have enough interactive stuff coming out. It could it could get its own category. At this point, it can get its own Bandersnatch. One last year or so, so they can practically yeah. get their own category.
0: Yeah, is it just going to be whatever Netflix releases though? When's no, it there's
1: year? going to be a bunch more. I 100 believe there's going to be a lot more, and I mean that's just because they don't want to open it up to a lot of video games because PlayStation has a bunch that are also technically yeah. interactive movies. But again, it's how they want to play it. And as of now, <laughs> the, the the guilds or whoever pitches uh for them they know what they're doing
0: yeah yeah um i was happy to see what we do in the shadows a tv show that i like quite a bit oh good uh crack the outstanding comedy series category and it got several uh writing nominations Mm -hmm. including stephanie robinson got a writing nomination for uh one of her episodes uh show that we both like a lot Black Lady Sketch Show. Yeah, I got nominated. Variety Sketch Series. Got a couple other nominations on top of that. So a lot of stuff that uh made me very happy to see. I don't know if there were certain nominations you were really excited about.
1: Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see the variety talk shows because uh, all of these, I think, have done a terrible job adapting to the 2020 atmosphere. I'd say probably Trevor Noah was the only one who embraced the YouTube era and was like, all right, Mm -hmm. I'm going to just straight up make YouTube videos. Um, That's going to be interesting to see how they do it. Just how they host the entire – will this be the first award ceremony?
0: Uh, I think of the major ones at least, it's going to be the first one that – tackles what a award show looks like in lockdown
1: that's funny they're volunteering as tribute that's gonna be interesting but hey i am glad that they are honoring the movies or tv movies and shows that have come out because 2020 is still a year zach and you should not be postponing award shows when there's still movies that are out which is meant Mm -hmm. to define the year of film
0: Mm mm-hmm it's not like these movies and TV shows don't count. It's nice that an awards body is continuing its normal cycle of uh, giving them out. They're not giving not out. They're not giving out the COVID budget.
1: baskets. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, also, I was happy to see that Greg Wheatley, Greg Wheatley, whatever you pr- however you pronounce his name, uh, got a best directing nomination for his work on Cheer because that's a show that's so uh, so though. beautifully shot. Um, I, I feel like he's so responsible for giving it that distinctive uh, feel and intimate look. So. Shouts to him. Shouts to cheer. Shouts to all the nominees that we like. Um, but, yeah, I, let us know if there's any other snubs or surprises that you are excited to see. Uh, we we talk, I talked about a, the awards a little bit on Twitter, but I don't know. We'll talk about them ale- again when we see what actually wins Yeah, and maybe... Uh, get into more details with them.
1: Mm -hmm. I have a lot to binge watch, a lot of good shows to binge watch that ended up uh, with Emmys that I have not finished yet. But uh, Yvonne from Insecure, I I hope she wins best supporting uh, actress in comedy that because she killed it in season four. So that'd be dope to see as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So uh, those are our thoughts on the Emmys. Let us know what you think, but we're going to get to the new to see where we give you our picks for the week recommendations for what to watch this upcoming week. Art, why don't we start with you? What have you got for the people?
1: Uh, I'll give you some of the ones that I'm looking forward to. I know she dies yeah. tomorrow is out. Right. They were supposed to Amy be doing. Simons. Yeah, they were supposed to be doing something with uh, the. Uh Music Box Theater, maybe even the drive-in. I haven't really heard too much about that, but uh, I'm also excited to stream La Llorona, which is, I believe, coming to Shutter if it isn't already in Shutter. Um, that was one where it shouldn't be confused with the Conjuring WB version of La Llorona that they did. This is like, uh, like an actual drama. Uh, and I know that it, it was at Sundance for a little bit and it was at a couple of other festivals, so I'm really excited to see that. Uh, let me see if I have anything that I would recommend off the top of me i did see a trilogy i guess i'll say this there was the legacy of the bones uh was a movie that had come out on netflix and it ended up being a part of a trilogy a Bastan trilogy uh that would be the invisible guardian the legacy of the bones and then the last one which is i don't know what it is it's um a spanish mystery series based off of a trilogy of, of books um and all three are on Netflix, so if you wanted to catch up on them, they are very long. Each one is passing two hours, but I think the middle one was the best, and it's like a pretty crazy story because you're not just following different mysteries that are happening uh, in this town. You're mainly following the detective who the mysteries revolve around her. Obviously, we're very American. And we're like, how the heck is she still in the case if it's her family that's involved that she needs to investigate? But they also kind of get into that unbelievable aspect where she's like, no wonder you guys aren't finding serial killers. You guys don't even have a network to, to showcase. So all the serial killer has to do is kill here and then move on to the next town. They're never going to connect the dots. Um, so it does have the, the very interesting procedural aspect to it. So if you wanted to catch mm-hmm. something like that, those are out there. They're in Spanish uh, and they're on Netflix. But I'll, I'll probably have some more that I'll be watching this week to recommend for next week for sure. What about you, Zach?
0: Awesome. All right, so we will be on the lookout for those. Uh, you mentioning serial killers and stuff made me think of I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which I just finished, finished up. It? Okay. How uh, it? it finished its six-episode run on HBO, and uh, now that it's finished its run, I can definitely... Fully recommend this because it is a show that you're probably going to want to binge the hunt for the Golden State killer and Michelle McNamara's process in trying to get to the bottom of the case. It's so compelling and so shocking in some of its its details and just the uh, the the way in which the investigation unfolds, uh, I think, is so well done. But there's also this really beautiful aspect of the show in that it gives you the profile of Michelle McNamara and kind of uh, all the effort that was put into her pursuit of this investigation and the ways in which it kind of ate away at her, too. Uh, I think it's. Because of stuff like that and because of the way that it's able to profile some of its victims, it's more than just like your basic true crime show that revels in the grisly details of rapes and murders. It gets a little bit further than that and and talks about the impact and the lasting impact it, ha- it these incidents have had on different people's lives, even ultimately on the lives of the family of the murderer. Uh, and I, I was I thought it was really beautifully done by Liz Garbus, uh, who's directed some interesting true crime stuff. Uh, Mommy Dearest, Mommy Dead and Dearest, I think was one of the recent uh, films she did. Um, But yeah, I, I, definitely re- recommend I'll be gone in the dark on HBO now that it's finished up its run uh, I also recommend a couple of movies that I got to rewatch recently both of them are on Hulu the first is Buffaloed the Zoe Dutch let's go uh, you know what
1: I always want to talk cut. a little bit about more about that movie for whatever reason I, I want to do like a, split, yeah. I have to do a let us explain on, on Buffalo I don't know if we've
0: talked about this one but I know you liked it I liked it quite a bit too like it's this sort of like small town Wolf of Wall Street in a sense in that Zoe Dutch finds herself in Debt and goes into debt Collecting and yeah. sort of starts this mini Empire uh, but it, it's Got those like fourth wall breaks The way that Wolf of Wall Street did and it's In its indictment of uh, Different <laughs> financial systems I don't know I I liked a lot About this one it's got a really charming performance From our girl mm-hmm. and uh, Good cast around her too with Judy Greer And Jermaine Fowler I was Very very charmed by this movie
1: Was what's his name in there Mr. Boomerang himself Isn't Jai Courtney in the movie Is he? I want to. Yeah, he is. I want to say he's in the head of the
0: first debt agency or whatever. But he's
1: good, Zach. Yeah. Jack Courtney is great in the movie. Uh, yeah, it's his, maybe his best role. I would definitely recommend that one on Hulu now that it's out there because if you're like, dude, everybody in quarantine right now is getting calls up the, like, just every single person trying to scheme, trying to scam uh, from the comfort of their own homes right now. And this movie is, it's that nasty underbelly. You're right, it's like Wolf of Wall Street, but I think the beauty of it is that it's not, it's not dealing with stocks. It's dealing with something that, it's a nasty world. And, like, the more you search up into it, it's like, yeah, they, they take some liberties here and there. But people really do collect other people's debt and then use that to be able to maximize an, uh, as much profit as they can. And they do this on the elderly all the time. They don't know any better. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, you know, a pretty fun movie, too, while giving you some of these uh, bigger ideas and lessons. I liked it quite a bit. Watched uh, watched that not too long ago. And I also rewatched The Assistant. Uh, okay. which is on Hulu. Not as fun of a movie. Uh but uh, a really interesting and and very well observed film from first time feature director Kitty Green. Uh here at Julia Garner plays the main character, the titular assistant. Uh and you kind of get like a day to day of her life in this company where she's uh one of several assistants to this big uh fil- this big person in film. They don't say his role specifically he's like a head of some film commission uh but it, it sort of uh glances at these ideas of me too and uh harassment of 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 less powerful individuals uh and does it from this very kind of like microaggressions perspective where you don't get any of these big scenes of uh People yelling or, or abusive Behavior you just get these little Hints at it the way that uh, It might f- Actually happen in, in a In a real scenario the way the, it, it helps put you in that mindset Of how uh, frustrating And torturous it might be to be in that Toxic work environment uh, Where there's There's awful things Happening in the treatment of people That aren't necessarily Out and out crimes right um, yeah. I, I I, don't know it's a very slight movie like it doesn't move a lot in terms of where its characters start and where they end up but just at giving you this impressions uh, of an experience that many people can relate to like even in my limited experience as an assistant I felt I experienced some of those things too uh, it's just very well observed and a strong statement uh, from a director who you know I, I'm excited to see more from her too
1: uh, was this your second time catching it? Yeah. I need to catch it again because uh, I remember the the scene where she goes in to talk to the guy who's like, but I don't understand. What are you implying? What are you implying? Right. So like, what, what, what was it there? And it's like, they get that down to a degree that very, very... Um,
0: in rewatching the movie that scene in particular felt to me like the never rarely sometimes always scene oh, from never yeah, rarely sometimes yeah. always because it, it's kind of the it's one effective. scene in both films where they just like dive into the emotions of it and, and it, it puts it a little bit on display uh, but even even then I mean both these films it's just the subtle approach to talking about the issues just feels so much more lived in and powerful mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I,
1: I liked the assistant quite a bit, uh, so really? definitely one that's worth catching up with on Hulu. Get a Hulu subscription, man. They are getting some crazy stuff. They hit me with an email the other day. It's like, let's make it a movie night. I was like, what do you got? And It was like I had seen them all, but I was like, parasite. <laughs> they had free solo. They have some great yeah. movies. I'll on watch there. Portrait of a Lady on Fire again. Why not? Sure. You know. So yeah, and I mean with Palm, Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Palm Springs with, back with a few yeah, times. exactly. So they're doing they're doing big stuff over there. They got devs. Nominated for technical Dads. awards at the Emmys, you know, they got some really mm-hmm. good stuff. So get yourself a Hulu yep. account. And uh, my p- quick podcast corner,
0: because I like making this a thing, is Home Cooking with Samin Nosrat and Hrishikesh Hirwe. Uh Samin is the author and star of the Netflix series Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which has been like a really great uh delving into some of the worlds of cooking as i've like been in lockdown and cooking more for myself i've really actually learned more from her show than i've had from cooking shows in the past but what i really like about this podcast is that they've got a very uh fun uh f- joyful banter like the, you can tell the co-host feel like friends hopefully if you <laughs> like watching this podcast that's a vibe that you're going for in your podcasts <laughs> (laughs) Uh, But they give you cooking ruminations, ideas, and tips littered with dumb puns and their joyful interaction. Uh, Hrishikesh created Song Exploder, uh, which is one of my favorite music podcasts, and he's just a brilliant producer of podcasts in uh, the the pacing of it and just the manufacturing of the sound is always so good on his podcasts. So it's a show that I've been listening to as I've been cooking recently. So maybe that's something that uh, you can we would want to put into your routine. If you've been doing a little more cooking yourself, my home cooking with Samin knows and who way. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we've been watching in our picks for the week. Let us know what you are going to watch, uh, but that's all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich. Uh, if I follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or letterbox at Z Shevich, that's Z S H E V as in veep, I C H and check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash multiplex show Arturo. Where can people find more from you?
1: You can find me at LME Explain or The ADZ Show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, of course, YouTube. Or you can follow me every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen
0: to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite I like Overcast. And then make sure you're not subscribed just to the audio feed, but to the video feed as well on YouTube.com slash Intercut Pod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break through the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Friday, and please leave us a comment, like the video, let us, uh, Consider heading over to iTunes to give us A five star review uh, It's been a couple weeks I'm, I'm looking for some more more affa- affirmation So please do that <laughs> if you care about Intercut you know it just it Warms my heart shout out to listeners in Israel and Kenya for putting us on the TV And hey. film podcast charts there Like our Facebook Instagram and Twitter pages All of them are at intercut pod to get updates Throughout the week from art from me From all the guests that we feature Here on intercut Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, if it were awful, it would have been exciting, but terrifically competent, there's no excuse for that. What's that from? Surely, man.